Okay, uh, you ready to try this uh, this cold open thing, Kieran? Yep, exactly. Innovation is our middle name. So let's uh, let let's see how how this rocks. I mean, right now, I'm sure we have a bunch of listeners who are looking at their podcast machines and shaking them and wondering what's going on because there's been no theme music. But I'm telling you, we're we're pushing the limits here. We're pushing the limits, Eric. <laughs> We are. We're pushing the limits on what a cold open is supposed to be, since it's, I think, supposed to be totally funny. improvised and spot. Well, that too. Yes, funny. This is not funny. Um, but nor is this, you know, it, 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 this is a spontaneous conversation. But the fact that we're acknowledging we're doing a cold open as our cold open is not as improvised and spontaneous as I think this is Truth. supposed to be. It's very meta. It is. Well, and that's what we if if we're not funny at least we're meta. That's that's exactly. what I always say. I think that's, that now. will be the official ICBP uh, uh, podcast t-shirt. <laughs> we shall sell three of those. <laughs> exactly. One to you, one to me, and one to the two kittens. <laughs> they have to share a shirt. Come yeah, on. Well, I, I think we're at, I think we're at four sales here, Kieran. Okay, fair enough. And Otis should at least be chipping in for five. So <laughs> that's true. We're, we've sold five shirts already and completed our first cold open. And, you know, it, it, this is undeniably an open to the pod, right? And can, no one can question that this has opened the pod. And I'm sure it will leave our listeners cold. So, mission accomplished. Yes. Very good. All right. Theme music time. Hello and welcome to the Interim Champion Boxing Podcast with Raskin Mulvaney. Along with my co-host Eric Raskin, I am Kira Mulvaney, and we're taking a different approach. Not just experimenting with the cold open, as you just heard, but also instead of one big Sunday podcast, we're bookending the weekend. Two mini pods, this one here before the weekend's fights, and another one to come early next week. Uh, the plan for this episode, we'll get our betting competition underway, figuring we ought to record a pod before Jonas versus Mayer in case either of us wants to place a wager on that fight or anything else this weekend. We'll also play a round of the fight game, Kieran testing me for the first time under the ICBP banner. And at the end of the pod, we'll discuss episode one of True Detective, or specifically saving that for the end to avoid spoilers for those who haven't watched yet but may intend to, and also so that anyone who doesn't care about True Detective can just turn off the pod at that point and not miss any boxing talk. Uh, but we start with a roundup of the news in the boxing world since last we recorded on Sunday. It's really just one big extended news item that we need to discuss, to be honest. Uh, undercard fights have been announced for the two major upcoming cards in Saudi Arabia, Plus another championship fight that may be headed there. On Monday, the undercard for the March 8th Anthony Joshua Francis Ngannou fight was revealed. Uh, the two fights that stand out are a heavyweight clash between July Zhang and Joseph Parker and Ray Vargas defending his featherweight belt against unbeaten Nick Ball. And on Tuesday, we learned of Jaya Pattaya's opponent for his cruiserweight title defense on the February 17th Fury Usyk undercard. He'll be rematching Maris Bradis uh, soon after being stripped of one alphabet belt for fighting someone other than Bradis in December when Bradis was not available to fight. And then there's the big fight that's being talked about for later in the year. The Saudi boxing organizers indicated their interest in hosting Artur Bedebiev versus Dmitry Bivol, specifically targeting June. Eric, which of these fights excites you? Which don't? And any new big picture thoughts on so many significant fights being staged by the Saudi government? So 
my big picture thoughts haven't evolved much. Um, you know, it, it's good for the boxers that they're getting paid. Uh, it's good for the fans that this money makes the fights they want to see happen uh, and at reasonable prices on pay-per-view so far. But it's bad on two fronts. Um, if you have morals, you are not thrilled about this development uh, and especially about all your media brethren bending the knee and referring to people mm. as his excellency and such, and even Bob Arum doing so. Um, as you pointed out not long ago, it is all becoming increasingly normalized. Um, yeah. and, and it's also bad because we've seen this before in boxing. New promoter comes in, spends big, sets a new market rate. And other boxers start holding out for more money and the pay rate is unsustainable, et cetera. So, you know, we're getting all these great fights for now, but a period of very few great fights getting made may follow. Um, so I guess as fans and as podcasters who need stuff to talk about, uh, enjoy it while you can. Maybe that's the best attitude for the moment. Um, I am generally glad to have these particular fights on the schedule. I mean, Easily the best of these is the one that isn't signed yet. Better be of Bivol. Uh, that made your 2024 dream card that you hoodwinked the lemmings mm -hmm. into voting for. <laughs> um, it is without a doubt one of the top five fights to make the boxing this year. Maybe top two or three. I mean, I would almost consider saying the words His Excellency in order to see this fight. Um, Zhang Parker, I like quite a bit. Um wouldn't have been a hot fight a month ago, but it is now. Um, maybe the most logical fight to make at heavyweight with Fury fighting Usyk and AJ fighting Ngannou. I favor Zhang, but um, I very much do not have the best track record picking fights for either of these guys. So uh, don't uh, don't trust who I favor to mean anything. Um, I have to do a little studying on Nick Ball. I've seen him fight. Specifically, I saw his win over Isaac Dogbay, but I can't say I remember a ton about him. So I uh, got to hit the YouTube lab before I can assess his chances against Vargas, uh, who I think I mentioned, uh, Ray Vargas. I shared a hotel fitness center with him on our last trip to Vegas. So, you know, we're practically besties. Um, and Opatia Bredis, I mean... This is hilariously stupid, even by alphabet <laughs> standards. Bredis was the mandatory, but he was injured, so Opatia went ahead and fought someone else, and the IBF stripped him. Bredis was ordered to fight the next available contender for the vacant title. The number one and number two spots were vacant for reasons that elude me why alphabet groups have vacant spots in the rankings, but Bredis number three, Zerto Ramirez was number four, but opted to take another fight. So then they go down to number five, where, oh, there's Jaya Pattaya, who after being stripped, he was inserted at number five. So now it's Opataya Bredis 2 for the vacant title. So, so stupid. But, <laughs> um, you know, this is why tracking lineal titles matters. Opataya is the champ. That's all you need to know. And their first fight was excellent and, and close. Um, I'm kind of guessing the second fight will be less close as Opataya is mm -hmm. on the rise and Bredis is 39. But those are my... Those are my initial thoughts on that. H how about you? Any other thoughts on these fights or on your plans to uh, bend the knee anytime soon to our bone saw wielding <laughs> overlords? Um, in terms of the fight specifically, I do have one snarky comment to make, which isn't actually my snarky comment. I'm stealing it from uh, my friend and pro box colleague, Luke Kettle, hmm. who noted that it's pretty funny to have Ray Vargas on a card called Knockout Chaos. But um, <laughs> apart from that... <laughs> Um, but I, I do like Zhang Parker as a fight. I like it quite a lot, actually. I like it better than the, the main event, Joshua and Ganu. Uh, I think it's really solid and will tell us a lot about both men. Um, 
Opatia Bradus, again, all about it, uh, notwithstanding all the nonsense that you talked about. I, I didn't give Opatia much of a chance when they first met, but that was down to my ignorance. And, you know, Opatia has subsequently shown himself to be a quality cru cruiserweight, in fact, the man yeah. at cruiserweight. And, uh, and same as you, I made the same note here that I would make him the favorite to repeat and probably repeat more comfortably. Uh, and obviously, better BF Bivol. We all want to see better BF Bivol. I would rather see it almost anywhere else on Earth. But clearly, right now, we are going to see the very, very biggest fights uh, in Saudi, it seems. Um, yeah. It may be wishful thinking on my part, but I've lately begun to wonder what kind of legs this is going to have, all of this. Right. I mean, it's pretty clear what they're looking to do. They're looking to do a half dozen of the absolute biggest fights available every year. And that's basically, at the moment, heavyweights some influencer nonsense and when it comes up when they come up exciting unification bouts or big or lineal bouts like better vf evil they're not looking to do anything to grow the sport or encourage the sport or provide a platform for up-and-coming boxers um jake paul is probably doing more for boxing and boxers right now honestly than yeah. saudi arabia um at least you know what he's definitely trying to do is provide a platform for for other boxers uh, I mean, they they want to stage prime Don King esque pay per views. Basically, that's that's what they're looking for, and there's a place for that in the sport. I, I you know these, I think big events stacked pay per views stacked cards are good for the sport. Um, there was a period where uh, I, I think you know you mentioned Bob Aaron, but Bob Aaron specifically was quite cynical about people don't buy pay per views for the undercards, right. and we would quite often get Drek undercards with and you'd be relying on the main event um good deep cards are the way to make it work but how long are they going to be doing this how long is everybody else going to be prepared to go along with it i don't know we'll see the boxes obviously are into it because they are getting ridiculous amounts of money as you said um after the zone already increased the, the sort of price point yes. and pbc before them it's it's great for the haves. Boxing uh, boxers do not have a middle class. Right. There's those who are scrapping for for money and and turning out for fights for relatively little, and those who make it to be featured in Riyadh. Um, I, you know, Oscar De La Hoya actually had some surprisingly nuanced opinions on this when he was asked by my my friend alan dawson and he said something to the effect of yeah obviously it's really good for the boxes but you know let's look at there are other factors involved there's when you consider the time difference the, the greater difficulty in marketing the fact that the audience really still remains in the united states right and to some extent europe there are downsides as well to having these fights in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, the fighters stand to make a lot more money. Does anybody else necessarily stand right. to make more money? Is it better for the sport? Is it getting more exposure? And that, of course, is getting it without getting into what these fights are all about, which are all about sports washing and right. making people, and as we talked about, just keep bludgeoning us when the time comes when you and I just start talking about Saudi Arabia fights as if they're just fight cards. Yeah then we know that they'll have achieved what they want to achieve, right? And so is it, is it monotonous, perhaps, for some of you guys that we keep coming back to this? 
maybe but i think it's important for us to keep coming back to this because that is what it's about this is all about sports washing so we will forget about the regime and and the kind of regime that it is and we will all just look at it as this wonderful playground that gives us big bowls of candy that we've always wanted and <laughs> uh, you know and, and and look at it from that perspective so i think it's incumbent among folks like uh, you and i to just keep hammering home our message because there's a determination for to make everybody else give up basically right agreed um i'm i'm in the middle of attempting to give up sugar other than with my morning coffee i have that exception but otherwise i have uh, a few days into a uh abstaining from sugar uh regimen uh so the big bowl of candy approach doesn't work with this guy (laughs) <laughs> um it's funny right. you were you were saying uh just a second ago the the tradition of uh pay-per-view cards that are all main event and uh they don't care about the undercard and that was uh that was uh according to our outline here that was going to be our approach to the news section this week but we actually uh we have some breaking news that just uh came across hmm. uh here uh we can we can discuss it live on the pod as an, an unplanned undercard uh i just i just saw that the uh boxing Writers association released its 2023 award winners right now as we were recording want me to uh, run run down this press release and uh, let you know who won everything yeah sure because i actually genuinely haven't looked at the press release so this is me reacting in real time yeah, uh, me, 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 as, me as well here. So looking at the press release here, uh, right at the top, Fighter of the Year is uh, Noah in a way. Um, and I, I should disclose that I do vote on these, uh, and I did vote for I. Noah in a way, as you know. So I wonder if my vote um, uh, propelled him to victory over uh, Terrence Crawford. But um, yeah, that was one that we ultimately uh, disagreed on. And uh, finally, for the first time in 2024, I won something against you, Kieran. <laughs> Well, I think uh, Noya, anyway, really won. But but sure, I mean, it's, <laughs> you're, you you share in the victory, so that's I, that's how I feel. Yes, yeah, and uh, I'm taking anything I can get right now, Karen. Um, right, right. Fight of the year, uh, Mungia Derevyanchenko got the nod there. No problem with that. Uh, trainer of the year, Brian Bomack McIntyre, which I'm sure him yes. being a guest on our podcast was what pushed him over the edge on that Clearly. one. <laughs> um, uh, train uh, that was trainer of the year, manager of the year, Bill Haney. Um, who, mm. uh, yeah, I, I, I think that's a, a fine choice. He did a great job uh, guiding Devin to the right fights this year. Sam Taub Award, Excellence in Broadcast Journalism. Tim Bradley got that one. Another <laughs> Showtime pod, podcast guest uh, who we certainly gave the platform he needed to win an award like this. Yep. Uh, and he's very good. And I mean, Tim's been consistently, I think, very good. Yeah, he, yeah. I suppose, the mic. I suppose our podcast is not the only thing helped him win this award his own, his own his own work as a broadcaster may have played a small role maybe but... <laughs> um so uh congrats to tim bradley on that we have the marvin Cohn good guy award went to john the Iceman scully who i believe is a <laughs> facebook friend of mine i think i think uh, mine too yeah yeah uh all right oh here's here here's one to be happy about uh the barney nagler award for long and more meritorious service gordon hall fantastic yeah Yeah. that is good Uh, that yeah i i think texts are coming from us to gordon right after this podcast (laughs) that that will be the plan yes very well deserved i'm psyched for gordon um and the okay it says finally but then there's a couple more under it so this is not finally uh but uh lisa mcclellan who of course takes care of uh, her brother Gerald is the John mm. McCain Bill Crawford Courage Award winner. Although it, then it notes McClellan finished in a first place tie with renowned photographer Ed Mulholland. 
but it still says she. I I hmm. I'm not Maybe sure. Maybe there was a I, count back. <laughs> could it could have been a, re, a <laughs> recount uh, something <laughs> yeah. or or just uh, in the case of a tie they had some mechanism to break the tie so mm. congrats to 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 our friend ed for uh at least getting lots of votes but it does seem they're saying lisa mcclellan is getting this award and then it adds after that finally um that the bwa is also proud to announce amanda serrano female fighter of the year uh thomas hauser aj liebling award winner for outstanding boxing writing and now this is great Nat Fleischer Award winner for excellence in boxing journalism. Finally, long overdue, Nigel Collins is getting that award, even though he's not oh, even really? that active wow. as a writer anymore compared to uh, in the past. He is still active and uh, should have gotten this award a long time ago. So that makes me very happy. Oh, that's great to hear. Yeah, that is good. Yeah, no particular beef with uh, with any of those, really. Uh, maybe one. But... Um... <laughs> Ooh, now I have to now now I have to think long and hard about which one you're possibly beefing with. Hmm. Okay, uh, well we, you don't have you don't have to say it on air, but uh, <laughs> I assume there was a reason you didn't. Yeah, you know, let's let's play nice. You know, let's <laughs> as the as the as the uh, outro of the old uh, um, pod said, be safe, right. be kind, and be well. Let's be okay, kind. yeah. So we'll be kind. All right, and yeah, uh, we'll bitch we'll bitch about it afterwards. Okay, I look forward to that. <laughs> but otherwise, no, no problem with that. I uh, I didn't vote for Mungia Derevianchenko's fight of the year. I mean, we had this conversation right, we, right. about what we thought, but no problem with it being fight of the year. Uh, it, like I think I mentioned when we were doing our awards on the show, Showtime pod, rewatching that fight reminded me of what a hellacious freaking scrap it was. That that will that will withstand the test of time. And again, like we said on, on our own award show, I voted for Terence Crawford. Uh, with our pod, and I did it with with this award, but who the hell can begrudge Noya in a way from from being fighter of the year? So yeah, yeah. absolutely no problem there. And Bomac absolutely should be trainer of the year. So yeah, no no beef there. Yeah, especially if Terence Crawford didn't get fighter of the year, it's important yeah. to acknowledge his year and his success through through Bomac getting trainer of the year. So that works out well. And yeah, and then just the personal pleasure I take in Gordon and Nigel winning uh, winning awards. Uh, yeah, pretty yes. pretty happy overall with this list. Yes, absolutely. All right, let's look back in time, shall we? And fire up the old time machine and return to the fight game. The first time that I've uh, pitched you. Uh, a fight on the fight game with this particular iteration of the podcast. Um, if you get this one in one, I'll be amazed. Okay. Two, three, four, possible. But, okay. You know, but I said I wouldn't be doing that anymore. So <laughs> we always say we won't be doing that and we I do know. it anyway. We can't help ourselves. Okay. Kind of an old school, this doesn't really give you a great deal of opening clue. But this contest at the theater at Madison Square Garden resulted in a seventh round TKO win for the defending champion. Okay, so I know where it was, theater at MSG. TKO seven for the defending champion. Uh, obviously, champion could mean like champion champion, or it could mean title holder, and uh, you don't have to clarify. Um, TKO seven specifically, um, although... Uh, sometimes there's a lot of gray area between what goes into the books as a TKO versus a KO. Theater at MSG, if it's if it was operating under that name specifically, there is kind of a range where it stopped being the Felt Forum and started being the Hulu Theater or whatever. But I don't know whether you're 
being that specific, all of which is a lot of tap dancing around the fact that nothing is coming to mind for a TKO seven win for a defending champ there. So I am going to not make a guess and ask you for clue two. Although it was a one-sided beatdown, the loser stayed on his feet throughout, earning praise from neutral observers and post-fight from the winner. Hmm. Praise from the winner as well. So something where the, the toughness of the loser, the refusal to go down. So, all right, now I'm thinking of something that I don't know where it took place, but it could have been the theater at MSG. And I thought it was stopped in the sixth, but it's possible I'm misremembering. Definitely a guy showing a ton of toughness and not going. I'm almost certain he didn't go down. I'll just throw it out there because it's close enough to fitting the description. Was this by chance Roy Jones against Vinny Paz? It was not, although okay. that is a very good guess. And that might. I think it was a KO six. In, I, I, yeah. think, I think I'm one round off there. And it's possible even that, that Vinny suffered some knockdowns in that fight. I can't remember for sure. He definitely was remember. stopped on his feet, but yeah. Okay. Good. Uh, guess. Good thank guess, you. But no. thank you. Okay. Now we're in the territory where there's a real chance you could get any, any time here. Okay. Uh, clue number three. It was the winner's second outing on us TV after a career spent toiling abroad and the manner of his victory as well as his post fight speech helped make him an almost instant star. Hmm. Okay. So now, now I am starting to think about one Gennady Gennady Gennadyevich. I don't know his middle name, Golovkin. Um, mm. That he, his post-fight speech, could have made him a star. His, so, so I just have to remember what. Ah, okay. I think I've got it. Although now I'm trying to struggling to remember the order of things. But so his first fight in the U.S. Again, and you'll tell me when I'm done this guess whether I'm entirely mm -hmm. off base on Gennady Golovkin. But that is obviously where I'm headed. Uh, his his first fight was the one. It was something like I think it was at Turning Stone, and I'm blanking mm -hmm. on the guy's name. But that was a KO five, and that was. Uh, so it's not that. And so then I think. I'm sort of torn between the Rosado fight and the Stevens fight, but I think the Rosado fight fits this better. So I guess it came first. So is it Gennady Golovkin KO7, which I wouldn't have been able to tell you that was the round, but I'm assuming it was Gabe Rosado. It is indeed. All uh, right. This very week, uh, 11 years ago, January the 19th, 2013, uh, Gennady Golovkin KOs, TKO7, Gabe Rosado. And clues number of numbers four and five were going to be. And the clue four might not have helped too much. Having entered the contest 21 and five, the loser would go five, 11 and one afterward. Neither the first nor the last opponent to lose more than, than he won after challenging this hard punching champion from Kazakhstan. And five. I, I, I will the... say, I will say that had I not gotten it in three, you're right. Yeah. Most of the way until you said Kazakhstan, so I feel like that would have clinched it. Yeah. Okay. Clue five. And uh, although the loser was a good boy, it was the winner who <laughs> would take his Mexican style to a consecutive KO streak of 23 until he was taken the distance by a miracle man. 
Ah, nice. Um, so, the, so now I'm trying to remember the post-fight speech. Was it? Was this when "good boy" was uh, yes. was invented? That was the particular was phrase that that caught on yes. after this one. Okay. Yes, when he was talking about uh, yes, he is good boy. He's very strong. He's good boy. He's good boy. <laughs> <laughs> so great. Um, so, uh, so yeah, wait. What is, you know his middle name? It's uh, it's something that sounds like Gennady, but uh... yes, Gennadyevich. Gennadyevich. Okay, I was I was in yes. the ballpark, but uh, added about twelve extra syllables, <laughs> which honestly is often the safe route today. <laughs> right, right. All right, that was that was a good one, and I yeah, I like the third clue there. It was like just enough to make it possible to guess without totally yeah. giving it away. So yeah. All right, good All right. stuff. Were you, you and you were at that fight, I presume? Actually, I wasn't. No, um, because that was before I came on full time with HBO. Okay. So I don't know why. I guess I just couldn't afford because I was freelancing. So I just assume I just couldn't afford to go because I was already one of those irritating Golovkin freaks who've been watching them on YouTube and was very excited about him. Oh, by the way, his debut was Grigor Proxa. That's the it. guy. Yes. Yes. Five right. at Turning Stone. So I don't know why I wasn't there, or maybe I was some, maybe I was traveling or something. I don't know, but I was not there for that, unfortunately. Okay, I in my mind I get the names Gregor Proxa and Dmitry Pirog mixed up a lot. Uh -huh. Of course, yes. they were both middleweights around the same time. I can't remember did Pir did Pirog never make an, a comeback due to his health issues after after upsetting so Daniel I, I Jacobs? I believe that's true. Yeah, it was a back issue as as much yeah. as anything, wasn't it? Yeah, and I and I don't think he ever came back, or or I might have seen something about him trying a comeback and it not right. happening. But that sounds yeah, that was a shame. He was right. a big solid lad, and that was a big win, and yeah, just nothing really happened for him after that. Yeah, although he probably was spared getting mauled by Gennady yes. Golovkin at some point had he remained active. <laughs> yes, exactly. All right. Good stuff. Um, are you ready now to make some bets, Kieran? Um, Certainly, sir. Okay. Because I am, and the rules are as long as one of us is, uh, we then we get to have a, a what what I think we will just uh, call the money punch still? Well, is that... Sure. Okay. So, yeah. it's Look, it's too perfect of a name for a boxing betting segment not to bring it with us. So, the money punch returns. Uh, the rules again, quickly. Uh, we each start with $500. Bets can be placed using odds from FanDuel, DraftKings, or Fanatics. Minimum bet $10. Minimum of three bets a month, including at least one prop bet, except that in January, since we're already almost two-thirds of the way into the month, we each just need to make at least one bet. And we didn't discuss this, but I would say it doesn't have to be a prop bet for January. Does that seem uh, the best approach, I guess? Um, yeah. I, I have exactly one bet that I like on the Natasha Jonas, Michaela Mayer fight. And I think it would actually qualify as a prop bet. Uh, if a prop bet is anything other than picking one fighter or the other to win, I want to bet the draw in this fight. Ow. <laughs> okay we may have a giveaway on what you're thinking as well but uh yes. so so and assuming you did the same odd shopping that i did fanatics is the best place for it it's plus 1500 um it's uh it's plus 1200 and plus 1260 at the other two books but 15 to 1 i love that um i'm kind of leaning mayor to win as we discussed but you know, only ever so slightly. And, and, you know, I expect that she needs to win pretty convincingly to get the decision. So that concerns me. So, so I'm not inclined to bet on her, but I do think a draw is entirely plausible. I mean, the fight is very likely to go the distance. The books have it like minus 700, minus 800 yeah. to go the distance. So if it's near certain to go the distance and it's fairly likely to be close, 
plus two minute rounds are harder to score. Bam, the draw is in play. Um, now, as a f- plus 1500 long shot, to be honest, if I hadn't made the stupid $10 minimum rule, this this would absolutely have been a $5 bet, I think. Yeah. You, know, you use 1% of my bankroll, but rules are rules, so 2% it is. Um, now, whether you ha- have the same uh, amount jotted down as me uh, will determine whether we're uh, going to be tied still exactly after this fight, but I'm betting $10 to return 160. So my 10 plus 150 in winnings on the fight ending in a draw, small risk, big reward if it happens to hit. So um, you have the exact same bet, Kieran. Is that what I'm to, uh, to infer? Yeah, we're off to a fantastic start, Omri. <laughs> this is just great. Uh, um, wow. Yeah, uh, it was the only one that really kind of, of stood out to me. I, I wasn't actually expecting to find uh, uh, a bet that I liked, and then I saw that, and you know, we called the draw before in the money punch. And I I can't remember the fight, but it landed for me once. I remember. Right. Um, I couldn't tell you what it was. As draws go, it's not the it's not the the, the widest odds that I've uh, the, that I've ever seen, but or the longest odds that I've ever seen. But uh, I was the same. I actually had a note here. I'd forgotten what our minimum bet was, and I just made a note. What's our minimum bet? Because <laughs> that's what I want to put on it. Because it's okay. not like a total slam dunk, but it's entirely plausible. And I made notes for exactly the same reasons. Uh, it's a pretty even fight. And again, two minute rounds, hard to score, hard for anybody to to really sort of dominate. Um, yeah, I guess we haven't decided what to do. I guess we'll make the bets anyway. Uh, yeah. Because it, it affects how what our running totals are. And, right gives us you know different you know a running total of however much more we'll get if this is a draw um yeah uh well damn uh, i was hoping <laughs> for a slightly more interesting start to this segment but i should have listened to more of our podcasts and then i would have been less surprised but there you go yeah <laughs> yeah it's uh i mean right i think the experiment is not just me versus you but also where what what do our bankrolls end up at? Do they go up? Do they go down? Whatever. So definitely still worth placing the bets. But yes, when next we speak, we will either both have $490 or $650. One or the other, we will be tied. Yep. All right. Well, there you go. Yep. Just uh, just more <laughs> more exciting conflict. On Same old Raskin and Mulvaney. There you go. Still waiting for that ESPN early morning talk show deal. But there you go. All right. <laughs> Okay, uh, if you only care about boxing, you're not interested in anthology detective shows, you now have our permission to leave. Because, to finish, we are going to turn our attention to episode one of True Detective Night Country, the fourth installment of... Is HBO dead? Is it just Max now? Is that what it's called now? Is it only Max now? Certainly the streaming app is Max. I can't recall whether they still call the channel Oh, no, that's right. The linear is still HBO. Yes, it is still. Okay. Uh, It aired this week in uh, episode one, and it is available to stream. It's relevant to us because it co-stars pro boxer Kaylee Reese, who some of you may recall going up against Cecilia Bracus on HBO in 2018. She stars alongside Jodie Foster in a tale that's right up my alley because it's set in Alaska uh, in the fictional town of Ennis. Uh, Location filming was in Iceland and in Utliavik, the northernmost town in Alaska. Uh, The basic premise so far, uh, the folks at an Arctic research station go missing. The only clue, apparently an Anupiak woman's severed tongue found on the floor. Um, This apparently harks back to an unsolved case from many years ago. 
And so veteran viewers of True Detective will surely immediately figure out that this is following some standard classic True Detective tropes. We have two principal protagonists, both law enforcement who clearly have a somewhat tempestuous past that centers around an unsolved case. It also has slightly different hints too. There's an element of John Carpenter's The Thing in there as well. And there's a hint of the supernatural too. The researchers' dead bodies are ultimately found after a ghost slash spirit told a woman where to look. Um, one, one of the researchers started shaking uncontrollably and then mysteriously said, she's back before they all experienced whatever fate they, ex they, they went through. I'll say this up front. I thoroughly enjoyed episode one. And I mean, I should. Right, it is aimed directly at you. <laughs> it. Really, it is. is true detective in Alaska with Jodie Foster, Kaylee Reese, and John Hawks. Mm -hmm. um, of course, I'm going to watch it, and of course, <laughs> I'm highly likely to enjoy it. Um, the test for any season of True Detective, of course, is how it unspools and concludes. I don't think we've had a bad first episode yet. The test now is what happens over the coming weeks. Eric, as a non-Arctic, more measured. Uh, uh, observer of True Detective. Right. Uh, what were your thoughts after seeing episode one? So I was thoroughly engrossed. I, I thought it was a very strong hour of TV. And and as far as the unspooling of the mystery, we'll, we shall see. But I felt immediately like I was in good hands. Like the people making mm. this season of the show know where they're going and what they're doing. There was, there was just a feeling of expert execution to it all. Um, Fun fact, you mentioned John Hawks. Uh, my wife has no idea who John Hawks is. Um, she she didn't watch this episode, um, mm -hmm. uh, but she was asking when she saw I was watching, she was asking, oh, who's in it this season besides Jodie Foster? She knew about that. So I said, this boxer Kaylee Reese and Fiona Shaw. And she was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know her. And John Hawks. And she said, who's John Hawks? And I was like, no, you, you know him. He's been in a million things. He was nominated for an Oscar. Yeah. And I showed her a picture. She was like, nope. Doesn't look familiar at all. And so then I looked up his IMDb and indeed there was nothing on there that she had seen. Um, I've seen Dead. How is that possible? Uh, yeah. I, I don't, How I, is it I, possible I, to live and not <laughs> see something with John Hawks in it, even if you don't know who John Hawks is? It, it, right. It seemed like he had been everywhere and or close enough to everywhere that you had to know him but uh you know i i didn't watch deadwood till a few years ago uh, largely at your mm -hmm. urging she has not seen that i watched eastbound and down she didn't watch that i've seen three billboards a few other things i'd heard of but hadn't seen whatever to me he's been in a million things and everyone knows him but uh but i guess not so there's my my brief diversion on john hawks and my shock <laughs> that my wife has no idea who john hawks is <laughs> which apparently uh, shocks and appalls you at least as much as it shocks me. <laughs> Certainly shocks. Certainly right. shocks. Yes. Right. Um, so a, a, f a few other things I have jotted down here and you can kind of just, uh, I guess we can, you can react to uh, these one by one. The, the, I'm most impressed by the lack of exposition about the characters yes. and their past. You know, and they're like, they're dribbling that information out bit by bit in a natural way. Like we know that everyone has history, but there is no... Hey, Danvers, why did you leave Minnesota and come here to Alaska four years ago? And what exactly is your yeah. relationship with the daughter type you live with? There's none of that, which I really appreciate so far. Yeah, uh, I love Kaylee Reese's character already. I, mm -hmm. uh, it fits her. I, I love that she's this total badass character. Um, where, you know, which you have to be to be uh, a, a native person, state state trooper up in the uh, the uh, outreaches of alaska and 
I like it. I, I, it fits her like a glove. I, I think she, she comes across really well, very charismatic uh, on the screen, and really interesting the way she kind of sets off against the Jodie Foster character. Uh, I, I find that, I think that's going to be really fun. Uh, I'm also very interested in unspooling exactly what the relationship is between Jodie Foster's character and John Hawkes' character. There's something more right. there still right. than we're being told. Yeah. Uh, and and that's the joy of True Detective, of course, is the is 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 when it works. It it starts getting you thinking that something's happening, and then you realize no, they've just led me completely down the wrong path here, and I need to retreat and go back down this path. Uh, love the setting. I uh, as an Arctic fiend, uh, I I loved it. Um, it it felt right. It, it felt like Alaska in winter, and uh, so many like little aspects of it felt really on the money not just the dark and the snow but a lot of drinking <laughs> a lot of domestic violence a lot of weirdos a um, lot, lot of, of, lot of alcohol poured into gas tanks <laughs> not always baileys that that was that right. was an expensive choice but um <laughs> but yeah uh so, I, I thought it was very moody and effectively so Right. So I like the setting, too. I'm very intrigued by it. But my one complaint about the first episode has to do with the setting. And it's that watching this show makes me feel uncomfortably cold. I, I am <laughs> I am I'm one of those perpetually cold people. I would always rather a room be two degrees too warm than two degrees too cold. And and this show, I just I just feel cold watching it so much ice and snow and dark. Um, so so I didn't like that element, which is a, a very uh, empty complaint. That's not, you know, not really a reflection on on the show. But I, I'm curious about the whole the the darkness thing. Um, I assume you've experienced some of that uh, that that you've been in in Iceland or Alaska or whatever at times when it's almost all night or entirely all night. I'm, I'm w curious for your personal perspective on how weird that actually is to go out in the middle of the day and it looks like night. Well, the only time I've been to Ukiakbik was actually the opposite time in summer when it's ah, perpetually okay. when it's perpetually daylight. So I've never been up there. I, I lived in Anchorage and I've been elsewhere in Alaska during winter where it's 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 not a case of the sun setting on December seventeenth and then rising on January twenty eighth for a few seconds or or when I forget exactly when when it rises again. But yeah, I've gone through that phase where a very significant part of the day is dark and the the slight difference that I've been through is that you know it gets light at ten thirty in the morning or something like that and dark at three in the afternoon something to that effect. Okay. So I'm very I've always been very glad that I was never a cubicle worker when I was in Alaska. I can't imagine what that is like to be perfectly honest. Right. Like go to work in the dark, leave in the dark. But yeah, it is absolutely, and I still keep planning on going to uh churchill for northern light season in kind of kind of winter-ish when it would be like when it's primarily minus 40 or so and very dark um and i've been meaning to do that for quite some time but yeah that's kind of what it like what it's like and people just kind of settle into that strange rhythm that slow rhythm of just dealing until the light comes back and of course when it comes back it doesn't come immediately back like the sun right. will come up for a few seconds and then a couple of minutes and so on and so forth it's it's an interesting challenge to yeah. put it mildly 
Yeah. Um, so on, on the Kaylee Reese front, I'll just say I thought I thought her acting was good a little too soon for me to, you know, be like, oh, she's a revelation. What an actress or anything sure. like that. She but through one episode, she definitely does not stick out as some sort of non-actor who's tossed in and, and over her head the way that athletes or musicians or other people newer yeah. to acting sometimes do. She seems at the minimum she's competent as an actress. Yeah, yeah, and and I just like I said, I feel like she has a natural charisma that that mm-hmm. does that does come across. Um, and it's quite interesting because, you know, I've spoken to her, and I don't remember. Maybe Jodie Foster's tiny. I don't remember Kaylee Reese being as big as she appears to be mm. when she stands next to Jodie Foster. Right. Maybe she was. Maybe I just had different expectations because when I talked to her, it was as a professional boxer, and so I always expect to be the most pathetic person physically around and uh i don't know but it looks to me like she kind of like towers over jody uh, foster uh, okay uh, well uh, and i don't know maybe jody's tiny yeah well uh they, i have this machine in front of me that allows me to look up heights of people uh so kaylee reese five foot eight jody foster mm-hmm. five foot three there's your answer Yes. And and if you know, if they gave Kaylee Reese like some slightly thicker soles on her shoes or something yeah. to overemphasize it, uh, there you go. Yeah. But but what I do like so far, it's done what you want from a true detective, just give you enough mystery to make you want to come back for more. But also this whole other element of you know, it's it's not seemingly not just being one particular killer at large, but this whole spiritual element, which of course really ties into the the whole uh, Inuit notion of, mm-hmm. of shamanism and spiritualism. They're clearly playing into that. Um, there was, the, you know, there have been jokes about your, your spirit animal, you know, and like, my spirit animal kicks the ass or whatever it was that Kelly Reese said. Right. Uh, and, and so that's played into that whole like kind of melding of the spirit world and, and the material world. Um, so so that's something that and so that makes me really excited to see where they go with that and whether they're it feels like it's very true to the arctic at the moment yeah all right well i'm i know for sure that i'm on board this is already better than anything i saw in season two uh which which is a low bar but uh but still even without the sort of verbal commitment to podcast about it i'm i'm sure i'm in for the full six episodes It's, it's clearly going to be at minimum a good solid season of television hopefully something more than that indeed um and as we mentioned i'm going to be popping off to england and as you've recently ground truth max doesn't stream in europe right <laughs> uh, no matter how much you ask it to so uh, <laughs> we'll revisit this when i come back from england uh after january 29th and we'll probably have a couple of episodes to go over yeah. but, uh, but, we're, but we're planning to, to revisit it um and in the meantime that will do it for this episode of the Interim Champion Boxing Podcast. Uh, as noted at the top, we will be back again sometime early next week uh, with our Jonas Mayer post-fight thoughts and more. And we'll also have a From the Vault episode to follow later in the week. And I hope uh, I hope that uh, you're all happy with the quality that you're getting there. So for now, thank you very much for listening. And perhaps someday we'll be elevated. But until then, we are merely the Interim Champion Boxing Podcast.